Well, as my family and I have been preparing to move, one of the things that we've had to do is to get our house ready to sell. And if you've ever sold a house, you know there's a difference between having a clean house and having a house that is ready to sell, right? Suddenly, you start looking at every single thing in your house and saying, would it look better if that wasn't there, if that was moved? Should this go into storage? You start looking and inspecting every single thing in your house because you want it to show the best that it can. One of the things that I knew I needed to tackle the project in our house was in our basement is a very old piano such that if piano, if you hit the button, the, the button, I'm so not musical, right? If you, hit, if you hit the keyboard and a note played, you would actually be surprised if a sound played, right? It was old, it was broken, it was kind of falling apart, and I knew that I needed to get that piano out of our basement. There was one problem. That piano was moved in there decades ago, and since then, an addition was built onto our house in the back, and literally... I couldn't take it out without having to tear down walls in my house. So I did what any man would do, and I took a sledgehammer to a piano. Because why not? It's got to come out, right? And so, I mean, a sledgehammer and some what I mean, what man doesn't love to have fun like that, right? Like it was old, it was broken, it had to go. So we, we ripped it out and kind of took all the pieces of wood off and got it as small as possible. But if you know, most of the weight on the piano is actually the metal frame that is in the middle of it. And so when we got it down to just the frame, I thought, all right, now I can take this and move this out of our basement. And so I got on one side, I went to pull and I wrenched out and I pulled and it moved about that much. I was like, this is a push job, so I got behind it, and I pushed, and it moved about that much. And quickly I realized, I can try all I want. I can muster all my strength. I can't move this on my own, right? I need help. I, I cannot muster up the strength within myself to conquer this obstacle, and I need someone else's help in order to do it. See, there comes a time in life where we realize we are not strong enough to do it on our own. And I don't, of course, mean physical strength. I mean when we run into relationship trouble and we don't know what to do. When we're struggling with temptation and anxiety and sin that maybe is overwhelming our lives, and no matter how hard we just try on ourselves, we realize, man, I can't do this by myself. Well, the good news for us this morning is that if you're a follower of Jesus, there is one who in your moments of weakness offers his strength to you. In our moments of weakness, we can find strength in our Savior. And so if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open them with me this morning to Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3, it's on page 977 if you're using the Bibles here in the sanctuary. And we're going to look at Ephesians 3 starting in verse 14. As it's Paul kind of closes off this first section of Ephesians with this prayer for spiritual strength for this church. And I, I hope that it is a blessing to us today as we think of God providing the strength that we need in the weakness, in the hardship that we find ourselves in each and every day. Starting in verse 14, the text says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. 
that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This morning, we're going to look at three keys to spiritual strength, three keys to spiritual strength in our lives. And the first key is to rely on the Holy Spirit, to rely on the Holy Spirit and the power that he gives us as followers of Jesus to live a life pleasing and obedient to him. In verse 14, it starts by by Paul saying that he bows his knees before the Father. The normal prayer posture in this time was actually standing. Standing would have been the normal prayer posture that someone would have taken. And so this, while it's not entirely foreign, stands out as not a normal prayer that Paul would pray. And in Scripture, typically bowing before someone, as it is kind of common still today, recognizes the authority that someone else has that you do not. And so this idea of Paul bowing the knee, it's it's a sign of authority, of power that God has that he does not, authority with the Father. In verse 15, he says, from the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, this does not mean, this is not argument for universalism or that all people are children of God no matter what they believe, but this is another statement of the authority of God the Father. See, names in the biblical world meant more than just something that you would call someone, but they revealed something about their character and their nature. And so if you named someone, it meant you had power and authority over them. And so this is referring not just to God the Father as creator, but it's that he has authority over all things in heaven and on earth. He not only has brought all things into existence, but God exercises his authority and his dominion over everything. And so this God who has authority over all things and is rich in glory would grant us power through his spirit in our inner being. Our inner self, that that seat of personal consciousness, and the biblical term often is the heart. It's who you really are. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says that the outer self is wasting away, but the inner self is being renewed day by day. This inner being, this, this who we really are, would receive strength from God's Spirit so that Christ, so that Jesus may dwell in our hearts through faith. See, to be empowered by the Spirit means that Jesus dwells in our hearts. These two go together and they reinforce one another in what Paul is trying to help the Ephesian church understand. So he's making this argument here that since God is the one who has authority, power, and dominion over all things, we as followers of Jesus should rely on his power in our lives. We should look to him for strength in our moments of weakness. One of the memories that I have of living here in Chicago for many years is there's several times that I have run the Chicago Marathon. And if you've ever wondered about it, it is much more comfortable watching on the sidelines eating a donut and drinking coffee than actually running it. I will tell you that from personal experience. Nevertheless, I have run it several different times. And there is a group of people while you run the marathon that always get, it seems to be, the loudest cheers from the fans. And it's noticed they even get the most encouragement probably from the other runners who participate as well. 
And one of those groups is those who are running but who are visually impaired. We're visually impaired, many of which have no sight at all. And see, they're running the marathon and they run tethered to someone else who then calls out and tells them the obstacles coming up, right? We're going over a bridge. There's an aid station. You need to turn left. You need to turn right. They're shouting out and this other runner is relying on their guide for the race. See, they, in some sense, are running on their own as well. It's not like they're sitting back and doing nothing. No, they've put in the training. They are working with every effort themselves, but they are relying on the guidance of someone else. They're working hard, but if they go their own way, if they refuse to listen and try their own thing, it's just a matter of time before they start to run off track, before they run into obstacles that would have been avoided if only they had listened to their guide. I think that's such a beautiful metaphor for what it looks like in our lives to rely on the Holy Spirit. See, to rely on the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that we can just sit back and do nothing. It doesn't mean that, oh, God's just going to take care of everything. I don't even have to try at all. No, the Bible says that we are to work out our salvation. It is effort on our behalf. But as we work out our own salvation, we rely on the Holy Spirit's power as well. And for so many of us, if we just pause and look back, we could think of times in our lives where the Holy Spirit nudged us in one direction. He said, turn right. And we said, no, I don't want to. And he said it a little louder. And we said, no, I want to try my thing. And he shouted a little louder. And then it went bad. Why? Because we weren't listening to his prompting in our hearts. See, on our own, we are totally lost. We are totally lost without the Holy Spirit's wisdom and guidance in our lives. So how do we know in our lives? How do we know if we are relying on the Spirit day by day? How do we know? For me, there's a few questions, as I was thinking of, that that can be helpful because the outward actions of the Christian life can look the same of someone who's living out of their own efforts versus someone who's relying on the Spirit. So often it's a matter of motivation of desire, it's things of the heart. So a few questions that I would love for you to ask yourself this morning as a test of are you relying on the Holy Spirit in your life? One is, am I faithful to God in the small things of life? Am I faithful to God in the small things? See, on our own human efforts, it can be easy to follow and obey God with some of the obvious things of life to live what would look like to be a moral and upright life before other people. But it's only upon a reliance of the Holy Spirit as he exposes and convicts us in our hearts of sins that we did not even know we are committing, that we can be faithful to God even in the small things of life. And often in our lives, it's when we start to compromise on the small things, the little things, and just putting forth an image to the people around us but we know there's something wrong inside that we're living out of our own strength and not relying on the Spirit. Another question of how we know if we're relying on the Spirit is, am I consistent in practicing spiritual disciplines? Am I consistent in my practice of spiritual disciplines? Do I just pray in moments of crisis? Do I only open my Bible when I'm at church? 
Or are these spiritual disciplines of prayer and discipleship, of worship, of giving, are these all parts that are regular patterns in my life? See, when we neglect these habits in our lives, we're relying on our own strength, not the strength that the Spirit gives us through the disciplines of the Christian life. Another question, when, when faced with a significant decision, how do I go about making it? When faced with a significant decision in my life, how do I go about making it? Do I just think of, well, this is what's best for me? Do I just ask a few friends, or am I honestly seeking God's wisdom for it? Am I listening for his voice in my life? Or this one, when I think of where I want my life to be in five years, in five years, is it something I can accomplish on my own or only with God's help? When I think of what I want my life to look like in five years, is it something that I can do on my own or is it something that could only happen if the Holy Spirit shows up and God works powerfully in my life? See, if our goals for our lives are some things that we ourselves could do, it shows we're planning to live out of our own power, not relying on the Holy Spirit. And so God has given us his spirit, and he prays that we would be strengthened with power through our inner being. He then continues in verse 17, he says, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, the second key here, the second key to spiritual strength is to know the love of Jesus. To know the love of Jesus in our lives is a key to spiritual strength in this journey that we are on. Paul uses two different metaphors there at the start of, or middle of verse 17, the being rooted and grounded in love. Being rooted and grounded. Rooted, a botanical metaphor, right? We know that a tree or a plant, if the roots are solid and firm, that it may wither on the top, but the foundation is strong and it will last. But if the roots are not there, it will quickly die. The idea of grounded is what we would think of today as a foundation for a building. That it is something that has to be solid. The building could be beautiful, but if the foundation isn't set and secure, it will tip, it will fall over. It's just a matter of time. He's saying here that the love of Jesus is the foundation to all we are in Jesus. The love of Jesus is the foundation to all that we are in Jesus. And he, he prays that we would have strength to understand the breadth and length and height and depth, this all-encompassing, overwhelming love of Jesus to his children. He prays that, listen, he, he has these dimensions. It would be the largest conceivable thing that they could think, the, the, the breadth and the length, the height, the depth. Beyond what you could think, may you understand that's how much Jesus loves you. A love you can't run away from. A love you will never get to the bottom of. That's the love that Jesus has for us. And then this expression, which always makes me laugh in verse 19, to know the love of Jesus that surpasses knowledge. Don't you love the Bible? I want you to know something that you could never really understand. 
that you will never get to the bottom of. Know something that you will never have a full knowledge of. See, clearly here Paul is saying, I don't want you, this love of Jesus moves beyond an intellectual head knowledge. Right? It's not just I want you to intellectually know, but to, to experience the breadth and everything that Jesus is and his love for me. And Paul just adds it in. And by the way, you're never actually going to fully get there. You will never fully get there in this world, understanding how much as a child of God you are loved by Jesus. But as we begin to know the love of Christ, it finishes that we may be filled with the fullness of God. It's an idea of complete spiritual maturity, not that we become God himself, but that we are fully and spiritually mature as we start to see the love of Jesus for us. See, knowing how much we are loved by God is a key to spiritual maturity. You cannot be a spiritually mature person if you do not grow daily in your knowledge and your depth of understanding of how much you are loved by God. See, Paul here is making an assumption about this church. He's making an assumption about these Christians. And I think it's a safe assumption that we could make for every single one of us today. He's assuming this, that we do not adequately appreciate the love of Jesus. None of us do. We do not adequately appreciate the love of Jesus and the impact that it should have in our lives. So his prayer is that they would grow into that more and more. Now, I have always been a morning person, and so I love a nice early morning with a cup of coffee and nice quiet in the world. That's, that's where I love to be. And since our daughter, Aria, was born just over a year ago, we celebrated her first birthday this last week, mornings in our home have been even better. Part of that is because God, in his complete grace and undeserved mercy, granted me a child who sleeps through the night for which I am eternally grateful, and I know not to expect it whenever number two comes. I totally understand that. But he has graciously given that to Kristen and I. And a highlight of mornings isn't just kind of the fresh start in the morning coffee, but highlights of my mornings now are when Aria wakes up. Because she wakes up and she'll make a little sounds, and then she sits there and plays, and then after a few minutes, she starts to let you know that she wants out. But she, for some reason, God bless her, does not wake up angry, does not wake up screaming. Almost every single morning when Kristen and I go in to greet her, we're greeted with something that looks like this. I mean, I mean, come on, how does that not make your morning better, right? I mean, are you kidding me? Come on. Right? This is not the exception in our family who stays with us. And as I can tell you, this is the normal when Aria wakes up. She's just full of smiles, full of joy. And every morning that I get to wake her up and I pick her up and she's at that phase where she loves to look at herself. And so we walk over to the mirror in her room and she smiles at me and I smile at her and I say a phrase to her every single day. I whisper it in her ear and I say, Aria, do you know how much I love you? Do you know how much I love you? And I say that not because in like four years I think she's going to look at me and say, yes, dad, I do understand. Stop telling me. I'd be like, too bad, kid. I'm going to keep telling you this, right? But the point is this. There is so much love in my heart for her that she will never fully understand it. Right? As a child, she will never fully understand the love that I have for her as my daughter. 
you will never fully understand the love that your heavenly father has for you. And in this passage, I can just imagine Jesus crying out to us and saying, do you know how much I love you? And the answer isn't for us to say, yes, Jesus, yes, I do. But the answer to say, I'm trying, but I know it's so much more than even that. No matter how long you've walked with God, no matter how much you've journeyed through, there is always more of the love of Jesus that we can know and experience in our lives. See, why does Paul bring up the love of Jesus when talking about spiritual strength here? Why does he do that? Because our spiritual strength and our security in Jesus is rooted in his love for us. See, when I tell my daughter that I love her so much, what I'm telling her is this, nothing you can do can stop me from loving you. Nothing you could say would make me stop loving you, and nothing you could do could make me love you even more. And that's what God says to us, is he loves us, and he's not looking for us to put on some performance. He's not hoping we do something so that he will then love us more, but he's saying, my love for you should be your greatest source of security and strength. Because if you're a child of God, doesn't matter how you've lived this past day, this past week, this past month, doesn't matter how you've lived this past year, Jesus loves you. He loves you. And when we receive the unconditional love of Jesus and we start to understand that, we realize the strength with which that gives us for each and every day. Because it doesn't matter what I do in some sense. It doesn't matter what struggle I may face. None of it changes this fact that I am a child of God and I am loved by him. When we understand the love of Jesus, it gives us such security and such strength to face anything that comes our way. So may we know this love of Jesus that surpasses all knowledge. He continues here and closes this section off, which actually closes the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians with a doxology. It's as if Paul writes of the love of Jesus and he can't contain himself. He's just like, guys, I got to go off and I got to sing a little song here. And so he goes off in verse 20 and 21 and he says this, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The third key to spiritual strength, the third key is found in recognizing God's abundant power, his abundant power that he has and he shows to us. See, in a typical doxology of which this follows in the New Testament, there's typically three different parts of a doxology. The first is the mention of the one to whom glory is given. And this is where there's the most diversity within the New Testament of the one to whom the glory is given. And here he uses this phrase, to him, to God, who is able, who has the power to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to this power which he just mentioned at work within us. This idea of far more abundantly. 
Some, some translations and scholars say you could easily translate it to the God who is able to do infinitely more. Not just a little bit more, not just surprisingly more. God is able to do infinitely more than all that we could even imagine. His abundant power is beyond our scope of recognition. He is infinitely powerful. And when we start to realize this infinite power that God has, that he has placed in us through his spirit who lives in us, it's a reminder to us to not put limits on what God can do in and through us. That we shouldn't put limits on what God can do in and through our lives. See, God's ability to work through you doesn't depend on your talent. It depends on his abundant power. And God has this amazing thing where he loves to choose extremely ordinary, normal people and show his extraordinary power through them so that he would get glory. If you're looking for an example, just look at the founder of this church. Fifth grade education level. As a teenager, couldn't get a job anywhere else. So D.L. Moody's uncle would only hire him if he agreed to go to church because he was such a troublemaker as a 17-year-old. And there he met Jesus. And so this man with an elementary education has a passion for the poor and the outcast of Chicago. A normal person serving an extraordinary God. And look at what God has done with his life as so many of us, myself included, have benefited from his faithful ministry, not because of his talents, but because of the God that he served. See, how God does it is this. Normal people with God's power leads to extraordinary things. Normal people, and guess what? You qualify for this, right? You qualify for this. This is each and every one of us. Normal people with God's power equals extraordinary things that can happen through our lives. Don't put limits on what God can do through you. Don't put limits on what God can do through this church in this city. Because he is able to use you, he's able to use this church to do infinitely more than you would ever dare ask or think. Because he is a God of abundant power. And he can use ordinary people. God loves to use normal people to show his extraordinary power to this world. A.W. Tozer said, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we sometimes plan only the things we can do by ourselves. May we be those of normal people with an abundantly powerful God who can do extraordinary things because of his power at work in our lives. So the first part of the doxology is the mention to whom the glory is given. Secondly is the ascription of glory itself, that they ascribe glory. And this is the first phrase in verse 21, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. See, the glory of God displayed through Jesus, so clearly seen as we've studied as a church through the gospel of John. We've so clearly seen this, right, how God's glory is displayed through Jesus. But it's that other one that kind of jumps out, isn't it? Glory in the church, in the church and in Christ Jesus. See, 
this letter wasn't written just to an abstract group of people, but it was written to a church, the, the Ephesian church. And this letter would have been read, gathered together to them on a day of worship similar to something like this. And Paul reminds him that God's glory is on display through Jesus and then through his church to the world. It's how God's glory is seen today. Now the church is far more than just a gathering of people together on a weekend, but it's not less than that. The church is far more than that, as Pastor Philip reminds us, right, go and be the church. It's far more than just that, but it's not less than that. And I just want to graciously encourage some of us today who are perhaps home right now, and I'm not speaking to those of you who are home because your doctors have told you that you need to be at home and there's safety risks. Please, I'm not talking to anyone like that. But the reality is this, is that when we were at home and we could not gather together and we were sitting on our couches in our pajamas eating donuts and drinking coffee during church, it was kind of comfortable. I felt that. I felt that and I know a lot of us did. And getting to church on a Sunday and parking and walking in and, oh, it can be an inconvenience. I, I don't need that. I've been fine. I can just stay home. I don't actually need to go be with God's people. I would just graciously remind you if that's true right now and you're watching home, first, don't hit pause. Don't hit the X button. Don't turn me off, right? But, <laughs> but I would just graciously remind you of this. Just because we've survived that does not mean that's how God can, has us thrive in the Christian life. You need the church, and the church needs you. And I'm excited each and every week as we gather, I feel like I see more and more faces. And I would just encourage you, if you're on the fence for your own spiritual health, please, you need the church. You need to be with God's people. The church is far more than just what happens as we gather, but it is certainly not less than that. God's glory is displayed at the church and in Christ Jesus. And the third doxology part is this temporal expression. How long is God's glory displayed in the church and in Jesus? Throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. An expression that only happens this one time in Scripture. Paul uses like all these different words he can think of to describe eternity throughout all generations, forever and ever and ever. And he's like, get it. God's glory is always displayed forever through his church and through Jesus Christ. See, this is a God who does not get tired, but a God who's almighty, ever powerful for his people for eternity. See, the scripture often says in multiple passages that God's power is best on display in our lives, in our moments of weakness. And when I asked this morning as we started, maybe for some of us there's moments in our lives where things that we're struggling with, where we feel weakness. I just want to ask you this morning this question, where do you need God's power in your life today? Where do you need to see God's power in your life today? If you're here, whether in person or online, and you're not a follower of Jesus, you need God's power to save you from your sins. In the chapter before this in Ephesians 2, he says that you are dead in your sins and only through Jesus can you be brought to life. That's something you cannot do. The only God's power at work in your heart and life 
can do. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, where do you need to see God's power in your life today? Are you struggling with anxiety as you face the future and decisions that come? Do you need God's power to rest and his comfort and assurance to come upon you? Is there a sin in your life that, man, you've been trying? You've been trying on your own, but you realize I've probably been trying on my own and I've not been asking God for help. God wants to give us power to live a life of holy obedience to him. Today, would you ask God for help, that he would empower you to live a life of obedience to him for his glory. And if you're discouraged or feeling helpless today, just remember how powerful your God is. This is the God who spoke and the world came into being. This is the God who parted water so his people could walk across dry land. This is the God who shut the mouths of lions. This is the God who walked on water, who healed the sick, who raised the dead back to life. This is the God who was crucified, but not even death could stop him. This is our God. This is the God that we serve. Father, we praise you this morning, for you are an all-powerful God. And we ask that you would strengthen us, your church, to follow you more. God, if there's anyone here who needs to reach out and see your power to forgive their sins, to transform their hearts, to bring them from death to spiritual life, may they cry out to you right now, in this moment. God, for others of us who are struggling with sin and temptation, help us to reach out to you. Would you empower us to live lives of obedience for your glory? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.